Hey, what's up? It's James. And teacher. We just want to tell you a few ways that you can support us. Financially. That's right. You can go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash show. Inside the Patreon, you can find a few different packages. You got everything from like a dollar all the way up to $5,000. You know, like if you're business, you want to do some advertising, you want to be a guest on the show or something like that. But you know what? We appreciate any way you guys would like to support us. This is just another way of doing it. Or access the shop at lastreart.gallery. Check out the shop as I'm a teacher's original artwork, some stickers, and also other merch coming at you from some of the guests on our show. Thank you very much. Peace. Peace. You're listening to Paint the Town Podcast with your hosts. L.A. Street Art Gallery resident artist, teacher, and founder of L.A. Street Art Gallery, James Chen of... I'm stoked. <laughs> this is a historical uh, day for our podcast, man. I mean, uh, you know, we have a, I mean, obviously, listeners already know who the guest is, so we'll get into that in a little bit. But, um, but yeah, man, how's the, actually? I want to bring up a story before we actually even get started, man. Did you hear yeah. about what happened at the uh, Louvre? In, uh, <laughs> the guy uh, in the wheelchair that hopped out and uh, <laughs> caked the Mona Lisa. Well, I was, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about it. I was like, this guy's an activist, and I was like, you know, you're 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 an activist teacher, you know, I mean, as an artist, right? Yeah. And th- this this is all, you know, all related for sure, man. So I have the news clip real quick. I'm just gonna go ahead and uh, bring it up real quick, okay? So uh, just just so sure. we can have a professional thing going on. Here we go. One second. days in Paris. A man? Oh, no. Oh, yeah. no. Oh, no. I need, you need to hear that in that sound. It's very important. A man disguised as an old woman in a wheelchair attacked the Mona Lisa <gasps> by throwing cake at it. This is video of the Louvre. Uh, after... That was right, the way you Did you like that? That was really okay. good. We had a lot of French really viewers there. Um, uh, the Louvre employee wiping ice off the glass. It protects the most famous artwork in the world. Apparently, the suspect tried to smash the glass <gasps> shield before security put the kibosh on him. The painting was not damaged. The man also apparently shouted about protecting the earth as he was hauled away. Gen Z, maybe. The painting has had a fair <laughs> share of unwanted attention, including more recently a woman who threw a ceramic cup at it in 2010. It was not damaged then either. All right. So Good just... grief. You know, there's all... a reason why they had that glass around the Mona Lisa. Oh, yeah. And first of all, it's... I heard that it's actually been. I heard that it's actually been damaged like uh, or vandalized like five times, apparently. You know what I mean? Like once it, you, you know, this is not like a trying unique... to ride fucking, you know, uh, Leonardo's coattails, you know, apparently twice like, in 1950. Get off his fucking dick, man. Quit fucking leave the man alone. He's, you know, he's dead. <laughs> once in 1974 and once in 2009, too. So uh, I, I was just thinking, like, this is definitely not the right way to go about activism. Right, teach. <laughs> It really depends on what you're trying to be activist about, you know, but if you're, if it's anything other than, uh, you know, the particular painting itself or the artist, leave the guy alone, you know, I mean. Yeah, I I just think it's just, you know, people love to get attention these days, man, and, uh, you you know, like, 
Like I said, man, but I like how the guy. Is this guy charged? Any, any, uh, is he like put in jail or what, what happened you know, to the, me, the guy? Let me, let me look that up, man. But, uh, um, or did he get in trouble at all? It's like, ah, oh, you gotta, you got, you know, you managed to get it on there. If you can get away with it, you know, you're, you're not going to get charged. I, I hope he got charged, man. I mean, um, let's see here. Well, he's curious as he, to, I mean, what would that charge be? Is it like, uh, you know, vandalism, I guess? Yeah. <laughs> Very relevant for this podcast. Like, you know what I mean? That's why, that's why I, was, I just wanted to bring it up, man. It has all everything that uh, the street art community loves, man. Art, vandalism, you know, activism. Oh, yeah. But anyways, man, hey, uh, so I was wondering, how's your, I saw that little uh, dog that you, you know, brought up in the intro of the show, man. I mean, oh, we yeah. haven't talked about that yet. Yeah. Um, well, I, I did a, uh, you know, sculpture of a, uh of a lab a labrador a while back you know and um i made a couple of ugh, you know castings i made a mold and made a couple of castings this is one purple here um they're and, big, man. yeah they're you know they're about four and a half inches tall um but then uh you know i've i've been making a batman version of all these things lately so um you know i figured i'd do one of the uh of the lab you know bat lab um i've got uh the little um i don't know you call it father and son but big and small um you know cat or bat chihuahuas um here love it man. Uh, so That's super cool it's turning into a series i guess speaking of uh the dogs man um how's your cat with the covid <laughs> oh, dude. I mean, seriously, having to give that poor thing a shot every evening. We found uh, this medication that you squirt into its mouth that helps with the pain and kind of makes them drowsy a little bit. And so that's helped a little bit. Um, but I mean, you know, it's just a horrible situation of having to, this poor cat knows it's coming now, you know, every <laughs> night where he's like starting to hide now, you know, and getting more and more clever. And so it becomes more and more of a thing. And, um, but we did get his blood work back um, a couple of days ago. And because he's doing so well, we only have, I think it's, well, now uh, eight more days, eight more shots, basically, uh, you know, eight more days of shots. And then he gets to switch to a pill. Mm. So, um, you know, it's just going to be so much easier, dude. It's, it sounds ridiculous, but. You know, it takes it, the first couple of shots. This poor thing had no energy. You know, it was easy to hold down. Now he's he's strong and it's taking like everything I can to hold him down. I take, <laughs> use a couple of towels and hold him down the ground and have to give like a little crease so the wife can pull the skin up to to do the shot the way that you're supposed to do it or whatever. And um, oh god, man, it's just it, uh, you have the best day, and I know that it, I still got to get go deal with giving the damn poke the kitty. You know. Um, and then every time, you know, he looks back at me after the shot, you know, I let him up and he looks back at me like, ow, and I'm like, dude, I'm sorry, but he does haul ass over to the bowl that we have in the, in the master bedroom bathroom, because he knows that he's about to get a churro, which is like a, a really nice cat, um, snack or whatever. And then, uh, after, uh, after that, he gets a bowl of, of his you know, nice gravy, uh, soft food. So it's. <laughs> it's like i know i gotta get the you know get stabbed but i know that every time after i get stabbed i get the you know the good stuff so you know <laughs> it helps a little bit but still dude, the, the poor thing's having to hide now pills 
you know, I don't know if you've ever tried to give a cat a pill, but that's not exactly the easiest thing either. However, uh, someone sent my wife this video of how to solve that problem. And it's basically the, the churro that I was talking about. It comes in a stick and it's like this gooey stuff. And so you basically use that churro and you just put a dab of it on the, on the pill and then the cat will eat it. Mm. This, it's, the video showed this poor cat had to have eight pills. I guess it has eight pills like every every day or whatever knows what that poor cat has, but it shows these pills lined up on a on a plate, and then the person takes the churro and puts a dab on each one of them, and by the time it gets to the end, the cat has come up and started licking one, and then ate the whole thing with the pill, and then you know just as it's licking it, he just sucks the pill up in with it and went through all eight pills, no problem at all. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I uh, mean, I, I hope only... our cat is uh, you know does likes we'll eat the pill with the churro as well but um anything is going to be better than giving that poor thing a shot every night holy cow man i've only had dogs and then whenever you know you want a dog to eat anything you just put peanut butter over it right so uh exactly (laughs) i don't think i don't know if that works with cats yeah that doesn't exactly you know you know know, what i love to do to my dog man i love to put peanut butter on the rim of his mouth and then he just starts going Oh, and they just like, lick forever. Like for an hour. Like, yeah. <laughs> keeps them occupied. Like, you, you know what I mean? I did that over the that weekend. That sound actually drives me crazy, man. That sound uh, drives me crazy. Smacking lips or something like that. Uh. I know my dog has this thing. He's just like constantly licking the floor right now. I'm like, hey, stop licking the fucking floor, man. Like, you know what I mean? And then he gets in like this trance and he can't snap, snap out of it. I, I totally get you what that means, man. Like that that's constant sound of just him licking the floor i'm just like dude stop it bro you know what i mean jesus but um speaking of what did yeah. you do over the long weekend man it was memorial day you know um a lot of people went out of town um what did what, you do well i don't know if you remember me telling you how uh our son had uh covid on the last show and then our daughter you know uh had me come pick her up at school and uh but she had tested negative for it. But as it turns out, the, the test that she had taken at school turned up positive. So yeah, we had two kids with COVID. Now mm-hmm. Linux is negative and he went to school today, but Georgia is still positive. Mm, so I see. No, well, <sighs> I guess her faking, I guess her getting coughed in her face by her brother. That actually worked, right? <laughs> I think so. I honestly, I swear, I, I think that's what happened. You know, she saw that he was getting to stay home and you know i'd have to go to school and and uh she's like i i want some of that action and i could just totally see her saying lennox cough in my face you know i mean okay <laughs> oh yeah man um yeah i didn't do much man i mean i i kind of just i felt like everybody's kind of going out right now so uh i don't know it's a nice time to stay home and work on some music you know what i mean and you didn't just, do yeah. anything for for memorial day I mean, I, I, had, I had a birthday party I went to just stop by real quick, and that's about it, man. Man, I don't know. Lately, I've just been in music mode, man, and I've just been working on music stuff, you know, and uh, I don't know. I think, uh, you know, being uh, – I have this idea that on my 40th birthday, I want to release this album, you know. I don't know if I actually told you this before. Um, of all the songs I've basically written um, – Dude, when is your 40th birthday going to be? Um, it's going to be in 2023, actually. So I still got a lot of time, you know, to do this. But um, it seems you know, like that. But, dude, he's going to be gone like that. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's a lot of stuff. It's like it's not dependent on just me, too. You know, sometimes I need somebody else's expertise. Like I need somebody, um, you know, to mix and master something for me or something like that, you know, and, you know, you just uh. gotta wait, wait for other people, too, or, um, uh, you know, a lot of things. So I, I, I just kind of give myself that um, uh, time right now. But, you know, I don't want to put myself too much pressure on like all oh, this thing's going to happen before I'm 40, because, you know, as an artist, we want to make oh, dude, sure yeah absolutely it's not. perfect you right let it come you know what flow, i mean when it's flowing yeah yeah exactly so you know that's that's one of the things i've been working on just give you know you never think about it how much like uh effort goes into an album you know if you shoot a music video how many people you got to coordinate for something like that um you know or the album art right so like you know things like that right you got to coordinate all of those and then like uh yeah um you know even like pressing the vinyl or something like that right that's it's something that uh you know if you're if you're not doing it yourself you're paying somebody else to do it and they're getting a cut of did you say pressing the vinyl yeah man that, that this is something you know i'm an avid record what exactly does that mean well <clears throat> i mean the music's got to get on the vinyl record right <laughs> you know vinyl thought? record <laughs> yeah do you, well, well you don't think vinyls uh vinyls I didn't uh, know it existed anymore. I thought no, that dude, uh, it's it's actually like the most one of the most popular medium to buy music now because of streaming. You know, think about this: the art's bigger. You know, you have this big ass thing you can kind of look at, and it's more enjoyable. And then one thing: even tapes are back. People release um, things on tape. Set tapes? Yeah, man. It, it's Shut like up. I don't know. The, re- the it's kind of like kids feel like Walkmans are super cool because they're kind of like um you know digital. retro yeah retro retro exactly right so um it, you know things like that are back like it, actually there's a new way right now it that they're doing vinyl now because so, it's like a let me let me see if i can pull this up uh, dj mag new vinyl method crazy man Thought there's all like, the vinyl records they were you know melting them so they can make I don't know, when's last, shit. <laughs> when's the last time you bought when's the last time you bought a vinyl teach i'm just i'm just saying like actually bought music i'm just curious like what year bought a vinyl album yeah <laughs> about uh 37 years ago holy shit no wonder you feel that way <laughs> yeah um you know what i see him in the waiting room man i'm gonna just gonna go ahead and let him, let him in mr al diaz awesome. everybody yes do not keep the man waiting Hey, yeah, that's hey. You. How's it going? Can you hear us okay? I hear you. Hi, hey, Mr. Diaz. Awesome. Yo, it's ninety-five degrees here, so I don't mind if I'm I'm like half naked, but. <laughs> Dude, please make yourself comfortable. It's actually I'm in my garage. I'm a little uh, little warm out here, but um, luckily I, I try to stay far enough away from the camera so you can't see the sweat coming down me. <laughs> but dude, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank it is it's me. really an honor. Where are you joining us from today? Where exactly are you? I'm in Brooklyn, New York. This is uh, this is like uh, I'm close to Bay Ridge which is near the New York Harbor. I guess if you go up high enough to a rooftop, you can see the Statue of Liberty in New York Harbor. It's, it's not far from, from the Verrazano Bridge, all that, you know? 
Very cool, man. Love it. That is awesome. Which it was cooler weather, though. I mean, it's, I mean, I like the heat, but it's, it's pretty hot today. Is it humid in New York? It's yes. always humid. In the summer, it's, it's, yeah, it's humid heat. It definitely yeah, is. it's like a steam box there. I've been there August, in, the, in the summer. In August, your like arms stick to your to your sides. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, first of all, I wanted to just yep. bring uh, out your book that we uh, you know we wanted to int introduce to the audience basically. And oh, uh, you look at that! It's so good to see. You. <laughs> I mean, so so you know. If you haven't if you haven't seen it, uh, it's Samo since 1970, and we have Mr. Al Diaz here to talk a little bit about and promote his book. And you know, maybe we'll give a copy away at the end of this, uh, uh, you know, podcast or something. If we think about some way, what do you think? That's cool. That's excellent. Maybe to one of our Patreons. You yeah, know, we, we got some yeah. great Patreons. We can definitely make that happen. No? Yeah. No problem. That's awesome. 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 So, yeah. uh, you know, it's an honor to have you here. Um, you're our 189th, sorry, 190th episode actually. And, uh, you know, it's a great, it's so awesome because we're, we're just, you know, dying to hear all the stories that I read in this book and, uh, just hear a little bit for, from firsthand, but go ahead, teach. I was just going to say, um, where, uh, where are you from originally? I'm originally from the Lower East Side of Manhattan, which okay. is the, the LES, the, you know, yeah, I mean, it's like the downtown version of Spanish Harlem, I guess. Not anymore, okay. but when I grew up there, it was. I, I, you know, I grew up there during the 60s and 70s, when now at this point, it's like there's doorman building and like models and bars and restaurants. and All know, nice and gentrified, oh, right? Yeah, of course. But back then, it was the kind of neighborhood you wanted to move out of. <laughs> Those what, kind of people, uh, what, those what did kind your parents do? Would never would disappear if they walked in, if they wandered into that neighborhood. <laughs> they would never <laughs> be seen again. <laughs> so how did you how did you guys end up there? What do your parents do? My parents are my my parents. Uh, my father and my mother came here from Puerto came here to New York from Puerto Rico in the fifties oh. during a, a a major migration of. I mean, things, you know, they grew up dirt poor. My, my grandfather was a, a sugarcane cutter. My grandmother, oh, wow. was a, they had big families, you know, they, they, it was dirt, basically dirt farmers, you know, they, they were, they were very poor and they, they worked the sugarcane back. That industry was, was probably the main industry. They were probably trying to compete with Cuba during, so they, in the fifties, there was a big migration and my folks were part of that migration and they, you know, to make a better life for themselves. And they ended up first in Brooklyn and Fort Greene. That's where they get Fort Greene, which is famous for Spike Lee's uh, 40 acres and a mule. Uh, they, they were established there. That's where those guys were from, his family. And, um, and they got married. What kind of work did they do when they get, when they got there? What kind of uh, work did they, they do? My father, you know, came here as a teenager. So he, he did like factory work. And my mother probably was, a, she worked as a waitress until, you know, later on, until we were, you know, um, a, a few years old where, where they, when my father ended up working for a bank and my mother worked for the New York Ioneer Infirmary for 25 years and records wow. and stuff like that. So oh, wow. they got these jobs, you know, like, you know, the American, it's the American dream. My folks. Yeah, dude, you know, totally. The first place we lived in was the Lower East Side. When I was, right. I was born there, my sister. So we were raised in the housing project there. Um, 
humble life, but you know, it was, it was, it was always clean. We never starved or anything like that. You know, I had toys as a kid. It wasn't, it wasn't this kind of miniature violin story or anything like that, but it was rough because the neighborhood was, was, you know, I mean, it was starting to change. The sixties was, was still calm in comparison to the seventies, but the seventies, the Lower East Side was crime ridden, drug infested, and it was not a safe place to live or to raise kids. So by the age of 15, my folks um, in their upwardly mobile struggle moved to Brooklyn and brought, and brought, brought us, you know, I mean, we, we, we moved from the projects into a, a nice a bigger apartment, you know, in a nice building. And within a year, they bought their first home. So they they live. Dude, your parents in, are awesome, man! Holy shit! Yeah, they, that you know, is... they're, they're, my father, may, may he rest in peace, was a, was a true like the American dream. My brother, my little brother, went to Harvard. You know what I'm saying? They, my, and they they you know they came from from uh, from sugar cane from cutting sugar cane. So, I love that immigrant. Yeah, story. it's a, it's a definitely an American American dream sort of a story. And at this point, my family owns a brownstone in Brooklyn. You know where my studio is. We own it. We don't. We don't own any, any. We pay taxes on it at this point. We outright own it. We have a, a property in Puerto Rico which we own. I, I have a house there. I built myself. I, I worked as a carpenter for many years. I before. I mean, yeah, I was going to ask you struggled, how did I struggled, uh, how did... Yeah, I struggled with with with. Uh, I mean, I I I, I was, I've always made art since I was a child and made music during the eighties, but I wasn't ma making. A full-time living from it so i had to pay my bills and i and i became, how did you get into carpentry i just kind of i always wanted i was always uh, attracted to building stuff and i wanted to, i just wanted to learn it and i and i needed a trade at, at the age of 18 or 19 i think i realized I, I was i had been a bike messenger and all this and worked in restaurants and all the, you know and i was like yo that's, that's awesome good. dude all these yeah, different palettes you know well yeah I, I, my my story is definitely like a like, I mean, not that I'm, a, I, I think I'm so special, but I've had a unique experience and I've had a very strong New York experience. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I worked, I sold hot dogs and beer on, on the 86th at the observatory <laughs> of the Empire State Building. Wow. I worked at Madison wow. Square Garden. I, you know, I was- and You know what, dude, while I'm thinking about it, what happened, where were you, were you there for 9-11? I was in New York for 9-11, yeah. I was, I was living on, uh, well, I was <laughs> kind of bouncing around, but I was living- I was down in the Lower East Side, and I saw this, the, the second tower fall. I, I had the, the, the planes had already crashed when I left for, for work that morning, but when I, we were, I was doing some closets on a, in a building on, on, I think it was Mott or Mulberry or it's down in Little Italy, what they call Little Italy, but it's not much of, of a Little Italy anymore. Right, Spring Street. But we were all on the balcony and and uh, on on a terrace. I mean, everybody, it was already, it was already like, it was a crisis already. We, we were aware that this was going on. So we were watching what was happening and we saw the second tower fall, the first tower, oh the first God. tower fall. And, and at that point they evacuated that building and so all the contractors have to leave because they, they were shutting down downtown Manhattan. It was insane. It was, it was like, there was, it, basically it was war. We felt it was like, oh shit, there's a war. So all the train, all the, the trains had stopped. The buses were still going, um, were still moving on the surface, but the just the subway was was at a halt. It was a big blackout throughout the city, 
Uh, I mean, in terms of communication, all the communication towers with the cell phones weren't working, et cetera, et cetera. There was masks. Wow, that's crazy. It was an exodus. It looked like it was insane. There, you have never seen so many people in your life walking on the street and they were all walking away from it. There was no one walking downtown. Everybody was walking uptown. Thousands and wow. thousands of people. I looked up. There was a bunch of iron workers on the corner of Bowery and Houston. Were, uh, I don't know, doing some, some kind of job there. And I, I saw three guys drop to their knees. And then we said, what happened? What are people yelling? What happened? What? They said, the second tower just fell. So it was, it, dude, it was surreal. It was completely surreal. It was like, there was, it was like, you know, there were bombs dropping basically, but it was. Man, that's crazy. Was, so you're, you are a full on <laughs> New Yorker, man. That's, oh, uh, no, that's no, no doubt. Yeah. And it was. No way. So by the time you moved over to Brooklyn though, you had already um, started doing like some writing and, and some, uh, some graffiti writing, right? Graffiti, you started I, started, I started graffiti when I was 12, you know, because yeah. I mean, graffiti in New York started to surface around 69. 69 was a strong, that's when you see, you see people like Julio 204 and, and some people in Brooklyn. So you started off as Bomb One, right? Bomb One, yeah, that was my first generation writer, uh, influenced by the Washington Heights guys who are arguably the first wave of New York City writers, um, guys, Washington Heights, although that, that you know, there was this, there was this zeitgeist, you know, it was in the air because there were guys in Brooklyn doing a whole different style of graffiti, but it was a nick, a, a name and number thing, which was also happening in Philly. So, you know, that's why there's all these different like opinions as to who like created, who, who was the first to start graffiti. When in fact, it was, I like to think that these things, this was like this kind of zeitgeist that was happening people were like let's it was i don't know it was something in the air and people were doing it in philly unbeknownst to to, to uh to people in, in in new york new york city and brooklyn and it's borough i mean it's all new york city i mean the five boroughs the five boroughs but in the beginning it was it was uh it was brooklyn the bronx and manhattan and then later on came queens which you know know that influence later yeah queens was was later in the game staten island was much later maybe two years after maybe three years after the fab the, Just, the uh, true, what the kind, of, what kind of things known, known as the fabulous five a lot of those guys came from staten island mono doc uh slug uh, well lee, lee quinone is also from the, from the lower east side and uh who was the other fat five the actual not fat five Freddy. he had nothing to do with the fat five <laughs> uh no it, it was not a fabulous five writer. uh he just borrowed that name um what kind of, what did you use when you were first starting to write bomb one um did you use uh, markers, markers, pens, markers at spray first, cans and we discovered spray paint yeah okay uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, and, and then and then we graduated to to trains, you know. But it, it first, uh, the first thing was was really with with most writers in New York City was writing around your neighborhood, wall writing, you know. Um, and then the, the subway became our internet, you know, because it went from the A train goes from Washington Heights, Northern Manhattan, all the way to Far Rockaway, which is where the JFK Airport, you know, that area. It's a lot of exposure. It's well, a lot of territory. The subway Didn't was our internet. Absolutely. Man. <laughs> so that was, was, yeah, it was like an internet, right? Beautiful. 
how else would you know that there's a guy in 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 uh, Howard Beach who's writing Vinny or you know what I'm saying? Captain America, C A uh, is the Wiz, all that. Stuff. All those guys came yes. the other end of the A line. Right. And On D. So, so growing up in a Puerto Rican neighborhood, I, I mean, it, 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 did you grow up in a Puerto Rican yeah, neighborhood? But it was, I mean, it was mixed, but there was predominantly Puerto Rican. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, you know, I'm always really curious because growing up Asian myself, I mean, you know, especially L.A., all these neighborhoods are very, like, segregated, just like New York, too, you know. And then it takes very special people to kind of cross over into different communities i think a lot of times you know what i found from my experience in in california is that the west coast a little more segregated um distinctly i mean you could see the, you yep. can see the, the, the distinction in, in you know like and, and 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 separation um new york has i mean every we're all you know all these areas have their it's insular kind of factor where the where puerto ricans hang out with puerto ricans but um, New York was a little more tolerant, you know? I found from my experience in, uh, I mean, I was locked up in California for, for you know, just locally uh, on some dumb shit, but in, in, I, w- I went to San Bruno and, and somewhere else in, in San Francisco. And I, I, one of the, the things I, I realized was, I mean, the, the Cholos asked me not to hang out with the black dudes. I, was, I had a buddy there and they were like, no, 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 you gotta hang with us, sit with us. It was an experience that you would never and that wouldn't happen in new york you know mm, what I mean? interesting it's very distinct they're very these guys were like <laughs> i was like no whatever you say dude it's like you got to sit with us because you're <laughs> latino so i was and i'm not going to argue with you dude mm. but it was very it was really strong i mean you know that was really eye-opening too i was like this is not new york mm. So, I mean, compared Holy to back shit. in the, uh, you know, 60s and 70s when you were you're riding, I mean, do you feel like society has gotten like more tall? Oh, yeah. Did you did you get tall? any trouble with the with the police when you're riding, um, you know, when you were getting started? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I got. Yeah. I mean, what was it? What was the punishment? The thing I got I, one time I, I had these they, they in New York City didn't have now you have all these these like cards that you slide like. Um, yeah. Like, for the subway. Right card right but back then it was actual tokens these, these like coin things they're yeah, pretty cool actually if you look at new york city uh tokens they were kind of a nice little thing you know with a, a stamp that i think the y was like stamped out so it was, you could see through it you know, nice. and, yeah anyway so 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 they would when they transported or they transferred tokens they came in these canvas bags they said property of the new york city transit authority Oh, there you go. That's beautiful. Perfect. So yeah, yep. so you get a whole bag of these things. I mean, that would they the the authorities would have these bags, and so somehow a bunch of us graffiti guys. We I mean we would always end up with MTA stuff. So I got my hands on a few of those bags, and I, I, I one day I decided that it's like a knucklehead. I decided it's a good idea to put two cans of spray paint in it and carry it on the on the subway. So some detectives spotted me. He's like, "Oh shit!" I, they they thought that I I would find out later that they thought I had some tokens in there or something, and they chased me to the whole station. This is the first time I got caught for graffiti. They caught they caught uh, they finally caught up to me. I was a pretty fast kid, so the t- detectives are all out of breath, and they the guy pulls a, a, a can out of the bag. He goes, "Oh, it's graffiti." <laughs> <laughs> 
asshole. <laughs> he thought that I had stolen a bag okay. of tokens. <laughs> anyway, so my mother worked down the block at the New York Eye and Ear Infirmary on 14th. This was at Union Square, 14th Street, which is kind of a hub, right? So she, right. she worked to, she ha just happened to work uh, like two blocks away. He, they called her and she came and of course smacked me <laughs> a couple of times in the face for embarrassing her. And they were like, get him out of here, get him out of here. <laughs> they, they just wanted it over with. It, it was not like, the, this was not like, like it's become like, you know, where it became a felony after a point. At that time, it was still just kind of a slap on a wrist. Like, you know, the thing about about our the first generation graffiti was it wasn't about, it wasn't, it wasn't really, I mean, it, it may have evolved into something that would become like a creative art form, but it was more a competitive sport, really. You know, it was a egotistical. <laughs> I can understand that. Writing your yeah. name more, I, I want my name a lot more frequent than this guy, you know? And it, it was, was about getting more, up. Basically. Yeah, it's about getting up. It's not about like, oh, we're going to be really creative tonight. I don't think so. It was, and that was, what was you know, it was, a, it was a pissing contest. It was a bunch of dudes, you know? Love it, man. So it was, that's what it was about. And, it, and but it, it, yeah, and where the creative, the, the creative uh, aspect of it comes in when we start stylizing the names and doing pieces better and better and better, and then it becomes refined. But in the beginning, it was really crude. If you look at like John Marr's book, The Faith of Graffiti, you look at, well, I mean, that, of course, there's guys who's, who's have better hand style and do nice crowns and, and stars and stuff like that. And that's where, that's what inspires uh, the competition. It's like, oh, wow, he's got a nice tag. I want my tag to be as nice. And that's right. where people start to develop hand style and, and piece styles because the first, what we call master pieces, we're just outlines with you know stars and dots. If you if you if you look at um, John Nars' book, The Faith of Graffiti, there's a Jace two piece, and that's always been one of my favorite pieces because it's so pure and so like it reminds me of that time. I can just you know really brings me back to that that first the innocence of, of you know graffiti before it was before Montana and before fancy taps that do like. <laughs> Well, what was that? Was it Krylon? We're using uh, Krylon. Krylon came in a little later, but but yeah, Krylon was used. Um, Red Devil. Um, what was it? I, yeah, I mean, I remember Red Devil. A, but, you know, what a, a lovely name! <laughs> now like, this won't cause any thing. vandalism or anything. We'll call it Red Devil. <laughs> Red Devil. Yeah, it was like a household. No influence there at all. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I, the company, I think, is gone, but. It's probably a, a DuPont product or something. Here's some uh, just just from that. Super, uh, yeah, super. That's a, that's a, that's a that's at the Walman Rink. I I tagged that wall. We're next to <laughs> super stuff. I did. I, tagged I love it. Wall. I love it. You know, I I I love I love that you're telling these uh, like just from first generation graffiti writers, uh, like just the mentality from there because I think you know it's evolved so much into something different nowadays. Well, and you it, know what it is. It's it's for me. It's really important to 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 talk about the first generation. Because the fact that I mean, like, no, Martha and 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 Henry and they came, they they started documenting a little later in the game, and a lot of people from like the post my generation think that it's like an '80s phenomenon, or they think the same was in the '80s. 
It's like, dude, by the 80s, I had aged out of graffiti. I was like, <laughs> I'd be a weird uncle if I was still writing graffiti with these cats. You know what I'm saying? These, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, definitely. Aged out. Me and, and, and most of these, a lot of these cats went to like the, the army or they were like <clears throat> working. They had kids, you know, like when they were 20. Had it. So, so it was over. You know, yeah. the idea of like going out and spray painting trains was that. Nah, it's it's done. <laughs> I have a No now. more innocence yeah. involved than that. Yeah, That's just straight so, up vandalism. So eighties, so eighties graffiti is is a. I mean, like John Crash and all these guys, they're a little bit younger than, me. and I, you know, I love these guys, but they, I, they, you know, they came in just a, a slightly, you know, later, later in in the game. I feel like if you were getting up in the sixties and seventies, there was Not definitely the a lot more. I, I personally would like. I, I was ten in sixty nine, but it, by the age of 12, 71, I was writing, but I know a lot of my buddies were, you know. Definitely. There was definitely older. a lot more space, right? A lot more free space than, than today. Was, <laughs> that's the thing is, I, okay, that's a good point because what I'll tell you now is that I, I lived in, in the Lower East Side. The Lower East Side was not a graffiti strong neighborhood in the beginning. Um, I had a cousin who lived up in Washington Heights, my cousin Gilbert. And he was friends with people like Snake One, Stitch, Coco 144, these early like like pioneer uh, granddaddies of graffiti. And I and when I, you know, as a kid, I'm 12, you know, you want to be looking for an identity, right? You want to be, you know, I want to be cool. I want to be. And these cats were like really distinct from people in my neighborhood. They had a different style. They had, you know, they had a, like a certain sophistication the way I saw it. And I wanted to be like them. So I ended up importing graffiti to the lower side. I was one of the first graffiti writers and, and it's pretty well documented that me and, and three other guys, basically two guys that were hanging Manmaker and Mr. Death that were hanging out in Harlem and they found out about it and, and, and brought it down to the lower side as well. Um, and my partner snake who I turned on to graffiti. So it was us, you know, the two teams that, and so we had no competition and we were very visible as a member, you know, as a, because nice. of that, it was. Now you mentioned Samo. Um, when did, uh, when was it that you met um, uh, Basquiat? So by, so by, John the, time, Michelle, excuse by me. the time that we, that Samo happened, I had already been an established known graffiti guy with a lot, you know, who had been spent a third of his young life, which is, I was what, 16, 17 when I met him, 17. So I, I spent six years writing graffiti. So I, it became my identity. And I, that ratio wise, that's like a big chunk of your life. If you, Definitely. Yeah, it is. When you're 15 and you did something for six years, <laughs> that's who you are. You're a right? veteran at that point, dude. <laughs> yeah, right. So I'm, when I met him, I had a, you know, I, we, we, we were, I had been in the game for a while and, and already was, pretty I, prolific. I was, yeah, I was fairly prolific and, and, and I was um, on the way, like to, it was, it was starting to get played out because it was like, Oh, everybody's doing this shit now. And one of the attractions or charms of graffiti for my generation was that you were a member of the secret organization, basically without, it was this like, Oh, yo, you write what you write. You know, it's like, not everybody was that guy. Right. So it, it felt really like a special click. And at that, at, by the time I met Basquiat, which was in, in the fall of 76, um, it, was, it, it was starting to be like a lot of people writing and everybody, it was kind of, kind of it, it had lost its charm. Getting a little flooded. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it was too, you know, it was like, that's when, when you, you know, like, they, they, they couldn't even find a spot to tag anymore. Yeah. Um, but uh, he was never a part of graffiti culture. He was not, you know, he was not like, like, he, he didn't do that. You know, it was, I mean, it, it's like, you know, like I was not a, a member of gang culture. You know what I'm saying? I, I had friends that did that, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't sure. involved with that shit. Well, you know, something that I found out that I didn't know, um, you know, because I, I just to be honest with you, my knowledge about uh, the New York graffiti scene is not that extensive. And um, one of the things that I knew Basquiat for was Samo. Like, <clears throat> I thought yeah. that he was the run that that wrote Samo. So I thought he was Samo. And then I was like, wait a second. So I did some research and found out that that's not the case. Samo was not a person, right? That was like, not, it was a explain product. that, please. Yeah. So the idea was it was a product. And that's why it, it was distinct from, that's why it was a game changer, right? It's because it was a product and it was written by two guys and we had planned it. And it was no longer graffiti. Because like I, like I think I, I mentioned, Graffiti was for, our, when we were doing uh, tagging, name, name and number culture graffiti, it was for each other. It was like, you're not writing for someone's mom to notice. You're doing it for other graffiti writers to notice. Like, yo, I, that guy's got I, a nice style. Respect. And all of that. And what we were doing was we, we, we were stepping out of that. And it, hadn't, it wasn't a tag. It was this product that we were trying to promote as if it were a real thing. And it, it, yes, it came originally, the, the, the expression same old was from same old shit, but it doesn't mean that. It doesn't like stand for, stand for that. It was the name of a, a, a drug or a, a religion or something. This malleable, non, you know, like non-specific thing that could change your life, make it better somehow. It was a vehicle to express you know, change for this, change as an alternative to this, as an end to that, because of this, for this. So it was fill in the blanks. So we were constantly changing. It was constantly morphing as to what it could be. It was a concept. It was a conceptual art piece. Yeah, it really was. And and we and we were kind of somewhat aware of it, but I guess we couldn't really articulate it completely. And the thing was, we were also playing with hype. Because if we put it out there enough, and I yes. knew this from being a graffiti artist, that if we put it out there enough, we would get, uh, get grab someone's attention. Yeah. And Michelle was game Absolutely. for that, and he was like, "Sure." And 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 together, you know, we created a new graffiti form, so, which is which is in a sense, it, it it it's it's contributing to the street art thing because it's no longer just a a, a tag. It's yeah, this right. conceptual piece, yeah. Um, but 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 me and Jean, like, okay, by by. So we started in in, the, in January of nineteen seventy eight. How did you guys meet? Like, what was the circumstance? Oh, how we, we yeah. met. We met at yeah. a we met actually like at, at like at a friend of ours, a, a, a mutual friend. This kid that he had probably, I think he went to St. Anne's with with Peter, and I knew Peter just from. We had a, a, a friend, a Shadow, Chris Lee, who was Spike Lee's younger brother, who, who died about seven years ago. Oh, okay. He had, well, I, I, first of all, let me give you a little backstory. I had met Chris when I went to high school of art and design for, for, for three years. Um, because I wanted to be a commercial artist or whatever. I, I had no, I, I was 15. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but you know, these, you get, you get, New York was filled with these vocational schools. And I, and I knew I wanted to have, have something to do with art. 
And, and I took the test and I passed it and I went to that school for three years. And by the third year, I had become semi-truant because I was a graffiti artist. It's, I spent most of my time doing that. I was not doing good in school because I wasn't at, at school enough to do it, enough time to do well. So they asked me to find another school. And they were actually helpful in finding me another school, which was City as a School, which was an experimental alternative school, high school. And that's where I met Jean-Michel, who had probably had a similar background in terms of adjusting to finishing high school. And he was actually a, a year and a half younger than me. So he was um, maybe a little behind. I, I mean, we were, I was ready closer to graduating than he was. Um, and that's so we met at a, a little soiree that we would have these after after school like you know drink beer and smoke weed kind of sessions and then <laughs> Peter's nice. Peter's house was close enough to the building that was the main center of where because our school was all over the city it was a city as a school you could go if you if you needed credit for health you could go work for the Red Cross or something you know it, it was a hands-on kind of uh learning experience mm -hmm. and with different resources all over the city which was very cool yeah totally different you, than you today's had, had, for, for example we had an art class at the museum of modern art you know mm. where, which was i mean a pretty special kind of you know nice um experience anyway so it was that sort of school and that's where we met and became friends quickly we, we related on the fact that he was he was half Puerto Rican and I was like, that's all it took. It's like once, like what, what you would say, you know, you got that ethnic connection. Like, oh, you're half, oh, me too, dude, let's hang out, right? Anyway, so that's that. And then we discovered that we had a lot of, a lot of interests in common and, you know, and we could have a, a good conversations. We just hit it off. We, we, we guys had, were artists we together, chemistry. basically, right? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, he was an artist, I was an artist and we, we had really good chemistry. So we became close friends, and so this is in, in the in '76 that I met him. In the in the end of '76, the the uh, fall semester. There we go. And then uh, that's me at, at high school of art and design with the, that photograph was the, the one up in the corner with me and glasses and long hair. It was taken by Flint Janeri, who was uh, Flint dot dot dot, who, who was very instrumental in giving giving. Uh, the uh, template for same old graffiti because it, it mm -hmm. sort of follows his his uh, his graffiti. He was also one of the first guys to who be an active participant in in graffiti and to document graffiti. He was a photographer, and mm -hmm. here at high high school of art and design, he was I think he was two years ahead of 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 me. So he had already been majoring in photography, and he was he's taken some really iconic photographs of people like LSD Ohm and Sunny 107. Graffiti guys from what, like, once again, from first generation, but uh, awesome. graffiti artists of consequence, you know? Anybody that knows graffiti. <laughs> anyway, but Flint, so, yeah, I'm losing. No, no, no worries. No worries. You're good. So, so, so you guys, uh, you guys met in art, art schools and basically yeah, through a mutual so friend. We met, yeah. And, and then quickly became friends. So um, became involved with the school newspaper, and uh, that's where the same old thing um, came to fruition. We had been playing around with this, this word, same old, same old, same old, same old, same old shit. Um, we gave the name. It started out as a joke because we, we 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 were invited a, a mutual another mutual friend. Well, this girl Elizabeth de la Madrid was. Um, 
she her her parents her father was uh, not her stepfather was a fluxus artist who was contemporary with uh, Namjoon Pai. He was a video pioneer, and he had been he had done this this experiment. Not he had done a, a, a anthropological film about the Yamamami Indians in in northern or Ecuador somewhere in the Amazon, and they and her family they they were very interesting people. So they invite they would invite us over to smoke weed with the folks yeah, and, we were, nice. and we were like oh shit the, the, the parents smoke weed which was our <laughs> folks certainly didn't smoke weed so it was novel right but nice. after like, the third or fourth time that we did it it was like groundhog's day it was like we knew exactly what was gonna like this one was gonna say that and that one was gonna say this and it was, it was like scripted <laughs> so we call we would laugh about it and say we're gonna go do the same old and we called her same old because it was the same old shit every time that we went there. <laughs> so that's what the big joke was. But by the time, so and fly like go back to the fact that we were on the school newspaper, um, January 1978, uh, Jean-Michel writes this, this really funny little story for the school news, newspaper about a guy who sells religions out of a kiosk, you know? I, I mean, it's totally like LSD, you know? Somebody, somebody oh, had yeah. to be affected, like did some mushrooms and thought this shit up because it was pretty out there. But it was- Did you were, did you fry in the, uh, that there to that period of time take mushrooms as well too? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. When I was 14, okay. I was doing LSD. I mean, so, 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 and both of us. So, so we were like, you know, coming up with this crazy right. shit. And there it is. That's the pamphlet that goes with the story. That's a pamphlet. Okay. The story okay. itself tells a story about some guy. And Jean wrote it in the most. It's really funny. It's really, really. Worth, I wish I had it to, to, in front of me to read it to you. But it's, it's it describes this guy who's who's like, you know, he's, he has like the two for one Buddhist sale. Like you can buy religions for your whole family. And the, <laughs> especially, yeah, right. So the special of the day was the religion that he called Samo. So now he's taken that word that we had been goofing around with and he has appointed a purpose to it. It was a religion. Mm. And that's where it started. And that pamphlet, we, we gave those pamphlets out. We printed a bunch of them. It's like, you see those drawings. I, I did, I think I did four of them. He did one of them and, or two of them. And and it's like, you know, Samo changed my life. You know, he's like, <laughs> I mean, this is the mind of two teenagers. So it was pretty it's cool. You guys were doing your own zine kind right. of. Right. Basically, nice. right? yeah. we were doing our own zine. So we handed out the pamphlets. We thought it was hilarious. And that's where the, the idea, like, dude, why don't we do a, a graffiti campaign like, like Pray or Jesus Saves, which are, were two um, religiously oriented graffitis that you saw everywhere in New York City. Pray, sure. Jesus saves. And yeah. it's like, okay, so, because it's like this, like, there's somebody, and I know the, the story with Pray was that it was some old bag lady, a, a shopping bag lady or a shopping cart lady, whatever. Um, some people have said, like, confirmed that that's, that's who it was. So it was, we wanted to do this, like, really kind of mysterious um graffiti that was going to you know catch people's attention and the first early ones were samo is coming samo is now samo as an alternative to god all these kind of like these quasi you know like something is that this that there might be something some like cult thing 
and then we started to to do the same as as an end to bourgeois fantasies mind wash religions and bogus philosophies and all that stuff same as an alternative to mass-produced individuality so Isn't we started to get really like like intellectual that's very yeah, intellectual, intellectual and, and and commenting about like things that that were society us. yeah like i mean we were aware of this stuff and it was something to worthwhile talking about so therefore it was not intended just for other graffiti artists or i mean because I mean, what we're talking about are, are real adult issues, even, you know, I mean, whatever, from, from the perspective of, of two very young guys. And that's where it started. So within, so it starts in January 78 and it takes off and we, and we start like really, really producing stuff. So by December of, by the fall of 78, we're doing, uh, we're being the, the local, media local newspapers are wanting to know who who these guys are and we and we, and we teased the first guy uh, Stephen Saban who was a well-known editor for the Soho Weekly News he printed two two or three of our cartoons and because he 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 wrote he did an editorial that said who is Samo come out come out wherever you are type thing and we would send like little you know like a i have i have saved one of the um it was like a message that we'd sent them and, and but didn't really tell them who we were and and then after like the third one I, they really thought that they were gonna that we were gonna give them the uh, uh, the store the scoop you know who we were <laughs> meanwhile we get offered like fifty dollars a piece from <laughs> from the village voice i don't know if you ever heard of the village voice it was fairly yes yeah greg tate used to write for it. he was a pretty well-known writer he wrote for the village voice um, so, so Jean wanted to do it. I was like, eh, I don't want to do it because if we do this, it's over. This would be the end of our shenanigan. It would be like, now that we're outed, what's the point of doing it? Because it's the idea was, I mean, that's me coming from the graffiti kind of ethic, you know, of like, well, you don't, you want to remain anonymous. And and that's what that was the, the beginning of the end because after that Jean Michel mm -hmm. he showed like he, he well I mean he was he was already driven to be a, you know to seek fame and stuff like that mm -hmm. it was uh, it was but that was like what, what the first real um, manifestation of of that and I think it caused some friction between us that he and he was the he, name he basically up, and, and so had a show. Up, Right, so he ends up like showing a same old, uh, going on that Glenn O'Brien thing and saying, "Yeah, I'm Mr. Same old or whatever," and but he never denied that it was two people when asked. But at that point, we were like pissed at each other for a bit, uh, for a number of reasons. There was a, I mean, we've been good friends for, for, but we both, you know, had big egos and we, and there wasn't enough room for the both of us in it. In sure. it and I'm I'm a little older than him. I'm I'm you know I wanted to play music. I wanted to do that. He was doing his thing. So 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 after '79 to to about '81, I I didn't I didn't really talk to Jean Michel much. I don't blame you, dude. Yeah. Can, can I can I uh, ask you real just, quick? I wonder. But, yeah, and that's when Samo is dead appears and all that stuff. Yeah, later on. But there was this part <laughs> that they was talking about the bourgeois or the CIA. There's this article about okay. that. Could you, could you so now the bourgeois yeah. was, was we, we, we purposely spelled bourgeois 
phonetically and and someone <laughs> so like it was kind of like yeah bourgeois that's how we would spell it like same was and then to b-o-o-s-h-w-a right right because it's, it's too damn difficult to spell bourgeois anyway yeah it is i can't spell it <laughs> so, so um so what happened was somebody in uh i think it was on broadway lafayette it was in a fairly visible place Responded to our Samo and wrote, Samo is CIA. <laughs> <laughs> Which was funny, right? I thought it was fucking hilarious. It's like, oh shit, Samo yeah. is CIA. But it was just a spoof. So that title was very cleverly put together to, to join Bourgeois with the, the commentary that someone left in the, in, the, in the village somewhere. That I think quite a few people saw it. So it's CIA or bourgeois. <laughs> so is it fair to say that basically during this time that you guys got up so much that um, basically well, you guys got the attention of the press? I mean, yes, we did within a year. I, like I said, it started in 78 and it was it was I mean, in January of 78. And by December 11th of 1978, we, we have, we have a, an article in the Village Voice. Hmm. So the thing is that once again, even though New York City was like covered littered with graffiti this was a different kind of graffiti and we were the only guys doing this these full sentences that had some sort of literal it's a different genre it's a completely different thing so you're going to notice it right because now everybody that, that's part of the thing is like a, at that point if you were if you were tagging like graffiti it was very difficult to be <laughs> to be to get noticed out, step out outside because yeah. there's you got like 10 million like competitors and everybody's got similar <laughs> hand stuff. But Samo comes along and it and it's reading it's it's like saying some stuff, you know? So people will read that. That's what made it I think it's not so much that we were like in every like on every spot in every wall, but where we were, we, we were in strategically located places in Soho, around the galleries, in the East Village, in Chinatown because it was all in our route of where we would walk from friends' houses and stuff like that. Lower East nice. Side, West Village, <laughs> uh, Tribeca, Soho, you know, that downtown. Nice. This is all very valuable information for so our that's listeners. where it yeah, ended nice. up. People were like, oh, it was everywhere. It wasn't everywhere. It was focused in the right spots. Yeah, now, in the, yeah, in the right spots. Now, one of the things that we always talk about on this podcast, because Teach is the graffiti artist of the show, and I'm the music producer of the show, and I know that, uh, you know, from documentaries. Yeah, you were in the music. Yeah, yeah was, right? I, that's what I wanted to do. After, after like, 79, 79, me and John are, like, fighting and, like, you know, fuck you, fuck you. And he, he was uh, in the music, maybe DJing or something like that, too, a little he bit, was, right? He was, he, I don't know how amazing a DJ he was. He liked to, to, <laughs> to, to play records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, you know, a lot of people like to play records. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, he got a couple of uh, people have, had invited him to to to, to spin records. A few so times. what kind of music were you getting into? Because I, I mean, mean um, at that point, I'm, we're curious I mean, about we that. Listen to everything. I, I I mean, I was raised listening to, to to Latin music, but but on FM radio or AM radio, top American top forty. By the time I was in high school, I was listening to to classic rock and to and then later on to to like more experimental prog rock and and um. And then by by the end of high school, like punk rock and, and, and reggae and just everything. I was just really eclectic 
musical tastes, you know. So you so were basically drumming though, nice. that, doing percussion. Well, I was right? playing percussions as opposed to, to kit drumming. I was playing like stand up drumming, like timbales and talking drum and Betty mm -hmm. Bow and any, any, you know, like, you know, hand percussions, uh, effects and stuff like that. And oh, I, that's I would, awesome. I would, I, I made, I made, I started making instruments. I started making oh, wow. like, like my homemade marimbas and, and metallophones. Oh, wow. um, like 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 a homemade xylophone kind of thing, but like you know, right. aluminum tubes, wood. Uh, so I was like really experimenting and 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 doing total multimedia artist, man. So I I was I mean it was you know I was really this was what motivated me. I wanted to 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 make um make I mean like I don't know if you ever heard of Harry Parch or people like that. They made their own instruments for their own music because so, they, only they could could get that whatever create a sound oh no i mean oh, I, I, I mean i was very young still I, I wasn't scientifically making instruments but i was kind of crudely making these you know some of them um ended up on recording some of my my metalliforms like with liquid so, liquid i don't know if you ever heard of liquid liquid but they did the original cavern which was um lifted by grandmaster flash for uh, white lines do -do 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 that was the originally um Definitely. Richard McGuire's bass line from Liquid Liquid. It's called Cavern. It's a it's a club classic. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I play. It, it must have been a really interesting time because I'm a I'm a music producer and I play with electronic synths as well too. So I totally understand about making different sounds. I mean, especially during that time in the early '80s. I mean, that was the infancy of everything. Just creating new sounds and you know using something out of traditional instruments to actually make your music. So, yeah, there was a lot a lot of a lot of people were experimenting with like you know, uh, inviting percussionists or, or like third world sounds and stuff like that into electronic music. And it was ideal for, for experimenting. I, I played with a, with a bunch of people who, who would end up doing some, you know, like some, some pretty good stuff for uh, musical, musically for, you know, just for, for historically. Uh, sure. People like Elliot Sharp. And I, I played all the, uh, the woodblocks and, and cow Bell stuff on the beatbox record with Ram LZ. I don't know if you're familiar with the record that Jean Michel produced. No, actually, I, 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 uh, what can you name the record? Beatbox, it's called. It's a, it's, it's like a, it's like, it's one of the most collectible hip hop records. And it's not like we were hip hop, um, people per se, but we, we did put a, a hip hop record together. I mean, you know, you grew up with the hip hop. When you were younger, hip hop wasn't around, actually. No, it was. It didn't exist. So, but, but all those elements that would be used were what I was listening to, like James Brown, all that, all the guys who got sure. sampled, like the, you know, P Funk and all that stuff, were, you know, they were at different. I mean, I, when I was younger, it was it was you know like the early R and B and all Simone the funk records, basically, like right? Funk, funk in the seventies when I was a little yeah. Boy. So, I mean, how did, how, how was it like, uh, you know, when hi the hip hop came and the graffiti started from that aspect of the culture, well, you, know? you know, what it's, that's another thing is like, not all graffiti artists were into hip hop. So when mm. it's like, it gets a little muddled there. I mean, yes, there is like that, that aspect of, of, you know, where, where hip hop and graffiti artists are, or there are graffiti artists who were instrumental in creating hip hop culture, but 
there are also like people like like the guys I mentioned from like Far Rockaway, like Is the Wiz and these white guys or Scene and those guys. They they have nothing to do with. They don't even want to be associated with that stuff because they were like metalheads or something. Like, oh, what the fuck? I hate. <laughs> they were listening you know, to Ozzy. Right? You know, no, it's true. They don't. They're like, no, no, no. So they. <laughs> it's offensive to them that that it be grouped in like this this like, which is I mean, it, there's something about it that's like it's so this it's these histories are so i mean even though there's overlap in them it's you got to be really delicate with it because it, it's easy to 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 make one big soup out of everything you know it's like some people com confuse street art with graffiti because they both use spray paint you know what i'm saying and it, that's <laughs> oh yeah okay it has its parallels if that's what you're paralleling is the the use of the materials <laughs> But the, the fact is, if you listen to what I just told you, street art didn't start as a, you know, like a bunch of delinquent pe people like, you know, like breaking windows and spray painting their name on. Uh, I mean, it just, it's a different culture. Absolutely. You said it started yeah. off as a, oh, like a competitive sport thing, too, because I feel it's like true. Many, many early writers will agree that it's it's uh, it was like, you know, it wasn't it wasn't so much about trying to be artistic. It was. It was about getting your name up and it was a competitive thing. And it was to satisfy one's ego to say, oh, wow, I see my name riding by, right? Every way I go, I see my name. And then Love it becomes an obsession. And if you have a tendency to be OCD or, or whatever, or, or <laughs> something like that, it's gonna, you, you're gonna get that fever, you know? And it's like, I oh, can I relate. Oh, I gotta I totally do understand. Yeah. So, Mr. Diaz, what uh, what do you enjoy doing these days? Well, I make art for a living now, and I, you know, I stay, I stay, I try to stay fit. I, I, I. Uh, you look fit, my goodness! You know, holy shit! You, you're sitting there sweating and everything, but you look like you just got through working out or something like no, that. No, no, I didn't. Not today, um, but, but I do. Like you I got the body that. of like a, a twenty-five or a thirty-year-old guy. Yeah, I wish. But, yeah. What do you do to keep in shape? I do calisthenics and some weights and stuff like that, but nothing too crazy. Um, Nice. But um, I, I make, I love make it, art. Man. I make art. I, I'm, I'm at this point, I, I'm able to um, make a living from art and art related um, subjects. I, I do talks. I do, um, I don't know, sell, sell merch. I sell, uh, I, mean, I do large. What art. is uh, wet paint? What's, oh, the wet paint project. That yeah. was. That started probably about 12 years ago, 12, 13 years ago, where I was collecting um, wet paint signs from the subway. Let me, I'm gonna grab them for you out of here. Um, yeah, the, the maintenance crews use, uh, well, they paint, they have to constantly paint in New York City because it's, because it's uh, either graffiti or it's just, it, it, this, the subway gets trashed. It's, uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a filthy kind of, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's constant, it needs constant care and, and, and maintenance. So here, this is just the paint part of it, but it says wet paint and it's, right. it's got this font. It comes in a, in a, 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 a very, a variation of different reds, like mostly similar to this, but there's, so I, I noticed these signs about, about uh, 13, 15, 14 years ago, and I was like, I want to do something with those signs. Because they, they end up in the garbage. And they're like, right. it's, it's a good card stock. It's like, 
it's got the union bug on it. It's a well-made, a well-made product. And I want, so the first thing I, I, I did with them was I made, I, I would collect multiple signs and uh, make uh, anagrams. So, oh. so wet paint only has actually seven characters. There's, the, the T appears twice. But if you right. turn W, it's from wet. If you turn a W upside down, you get an M, right? So, right. And, and the paint, the P, if you turn a P upside down, you get a lowercase d. So I, I made two more letters. So I end up with nine characters. And then uh, after I exhausted that for about two years, I, I mean, I generated maybe 900 words. But what happens when you have nine characters is everything's a tongue twister. Because, you know, everything sounds, <laughs> you only have a, but a few sounds. So right. I started to incorporate the um, letters from the, I, I don't have an example of that with me, do I? I wish I could show you. But the um, the subway uh, uh, service alert uh, alert posters, and that has like the icons of the trains, the names of the trains, and the, and the numbers of the trains. So I started to incorporate those letters, which really gave me a, a much bigger alphabet. So with that alphabet, I've been able to, I added a few, few letters and, and symbols I, I used. There's a U that has an arrow and it's a turnaround symbol. It means turnaround. And then I use the the red, the red circle with the slash through it, which means no re-entry. And I use I use that as an O and the U as a, a the uh, turnaround as a U. And they work pretty effectively. So I at this point, after over a decade of doing it, I could talk about anything, really. You know, I could nice. I mean, yeah, I, I let me read you an example so that i just got a quick question for you while you're looking for that um <clears throat> i think of you as such an iconic and legendary graffiti artist has anyone ever done any artwork of you like a stencil or anything like that um they've done uh, portraits and stuff like that and uh, a stencil i mean i mean um yeah i mean but then uh, people have sent me stuff you know or done paintings of my some of my my uh, my installations and stuff. I have well, the reason why I ask is I one of the things that I do is uh, uh, portrait stencils. So oh, um, that sounds very cool. Yeah, I uh, I found this picture of you and I, I uh, um you know I, I cut this. Oh wow! Uh, look at that stencil <laughs> look, here. Look like a, uh, like a killer. <laughs> kind of like a little uh, thank you. Well, that's the wet paint. Uh, really excellent. Paint, that's really you know? excellent. I'm like, I'm like, like 20 years younger. Than I love it. Cool. Um, is, I don't know, dude. You look about the same. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> you, you're taking very good care of yourself and everything. So, um, wonderful. But, uh, that, yeah. that is so I, excellent. <laughs> I haven't, uh, I haven't even uh, sprayed it yet. Um, but I'll, uh, I'll do the first spray and uh, and I'll send the stencil to you if you like. Um, I would love that. You know? Are you kidding? Do it if I like. <laughs> So I want to so, read you when I know when you're when you're I'm, I'm not going to interrupt you. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm done. You know, I just wanted to show you that I, I I'm, I'm just so that, grateful that, that I, I did your little stencil there. It's honor and it's a, a very beautiful piece. That you, those are really well made stencils. Well, thank you very much. When we get done here, um, I'll, I will get uh, your address and everything and I'll, I'll send you, it right up to you like with a couple of prints. Guy, you know, teacher, um, Dave told me that he you, you showed him the, the trick with the drywall mesh. 
Is that yours? Yeah. I, well, there's uh, there's drywall <laughs> mesh, and then there's uh, there's window screen, fiberglass window screen. Oh, that's pretty excellent. That's, that's what actually I, I used I put, on on this I one. Did, yeah, I did. I uh, I could see that. I could keep the mosquitoes out. I saw yeah. the. I I got the. I I made a few that that I used with the um, with the uh, drywall mesh. I, I made some big wet paint letters. So I, nice. I, it was your technique, and I have to I have to. We may, I definitely have to extend uh, gratitude for that because it was it changed my whole um, stencil game. <laughs> not that wow, I'm, dude. Not that I'm a stencil like expert in any any way, but it was. Well, it just yeah. makes it a little bit you know different and you know sometimes easier to 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 cut out certain letters and stuff like that. Right. Oh, dude, that's so cool. Oh, sorry. Bring that back up. Okay. Uh, yeah, no problem. Those are those are actually those are collage. Those are actual collage. A madam and a pimp made a timid man weep, which is one of my. <laughs> that that's one of the the the, the, the tongue, tongue twisters. twisters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> love it. Look, I love it. But as opposed, that's to, made all made from wet paint. From wet right? paint. That's all. Yeah, I, my favorite one is <laughs> I am man. This one here. Look, this is my favorite one of that series. I am man. I eat. I nap. I pee. I mate. I weep in pain, <laughs> and in time, I die. Wow, that's that is beautiful, so man. awesome, that's dude. Beautiful. That's... It's all wet painted. So look, so once I added these letters, this is what it looks like. Okay. Okay. See the, the circles. All right. So it's got this kind of like musical quality to it, I think. Anyway, that is so cool. show you what I could talk about. I mean, okay, this with is all about, the letters and, and things yeah, that you've accumulated. This is about a circle. A circle because I, this is relates to a circle sculpture. I made I made three sculptures that one is circle, triangle, and square, which we know are the basic element shapes in in all forms. Anyway, right. it's so that it's talking about the circle and in, in, in my constrained alphabet. It says a circle is considered most perfect of all forms. It is omnipresent, can illustrate notions of God, total self a process of transformation and timelessness, which I'm really proud of that because I think Dude, that, that is beautiful. This, this is not a complete alphabet. This is not a complete alphabet. Uh, I mean, I'm just going to pull dude, up. Still, other... though, that's just that's just sort of fucking creative <laughs> on another level, man. I love it's, it, dude. It's, it, yeah, I'm inspired. It's, it's fun. It's Here's fun. another piece about growing older. Yeah. Um, growing older can be an unappealing, tedious process for some people. But some of us prefer to be around as long as possible, collecting an endless amount of stories and memories, a lifelong roller coaster ride of drama, boredom, glamour, dereliction, success, failure, sadness, jubilation. I just, I just love it because you're that taking so awesome. like a concept of this of street art, you know, and it, this and just taking just materials from the street. And this is what I'm talking about. People, you know, not everybody has some crazy wild style technique. It's really just about you know, your concepts and then your continue, you know, to want to get up, I think. And that's what I, I love about uh, your energy, man. Yeah. yeah. All you know. energy, so dude. It, I got to tell you, I am, I am totally man. inspired from beginning to up till now and to the future from your life, the way your family came into this country, the way they moved up and just all the interesting things that you have done as an artist. I'm totally inspired, dude. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad I could inspire you. And and uh, you know you know we have the we have a copy of this book. We're gonna give it away to uh, one of our uh, Patreon patrons too, basically too. So uh, yeah, we'll figure out how we're gonna do that. But um, but yeah, well, thank you. Keep me posted. So if I can help in any way or whatever, or sign a book or whatever. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. You, you know, it's it's been an honor for you to just you know come grace Huge us honor, dude. on this podcast. Thank and you, for It's been a, it's an absolute pleasure for me. Thank you so much, and uh, nice you know, to talk to people who who appreciate this stuff. Yeah, next time we're in New York, we'd love to go out and take you out to dinner too. And oh, please uh, do. You got my. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you my info on the the, the DM stuff. So, so definitely I'm and DM. So you have my my phone. So yeah, we we have a lot of friends out there. Up Magazine, different people who oh, are. Oh yeah, we, we love TK, to connect. TK Mills is, yes. is my buddy. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yes. definitely, absolutely. And like I said, yeah. we're, when we we're out there in New York next time, we'll definitely hit you up. Please do, definitely, we we'll hang out. Teach any more questions? Other than your uh, other than your website, which is aldiaz.com. Yeah, my website is a little bit like it's just it's it's been un unattended to um still got a lot of great information on there my instagram is like you know it's 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 just that i can't i i can't seem to manage more than than a few i can totally relate i totally understand i'm i'm 53 years old and i feel like i'm falling behind man what is uh what is your instagram thing yes absolutely what's your instagram a 14 year old assistant yes absolutely dude yeah, I'm waiting for my daughter to get old enough to be helping. She's almost already there, dude. I have an 11 and a half year old daughter. She's almost 12 that, and a yeah. son. But my daughter would be more than one that's going to help me out with this shit. My son likes to play sports and, and skateboard and everything. But um, yeah, dude, um, I uh, <laughs> I understand when it comes to that kind of stuff. So what what is your Instagram? It's Albert underscore Diaz one. Got it. Okay, we'll have it up with the with the other information as well that uh, that, that James puts up with the post. But uh, yeah, thank you so much. It's been a great honor. Thank and, you uh, guys. Thank you. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, teach uh, any more questions because uh, you know we got to let this man go. His time is very. Dude, I think I fanboyed out enough here today. <laughs> um, you know, just thanks again. Totally honored. Um, thanks, bro. Really appreciate it. Al. <laughs> Look seriously. forward to. Uh, Keeping in touch with you guys, and taking you out to dinner and having some drinks with you and maybe even having a smoke. Right, man. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, everyone. So thank you very much for hanging out with us today. Follow us at PTTP Show. Leave us a review on iTunes. Love you guys. Take care and peace. Hey, what's up? It's James. And teacher. We just want to tell you a few ways that you can support us. Financially. That's right. You can go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash show. Inside the Patreon, you can find a few different packages. You got everything from like a dollar all the way up to $5,000. You know, like if you're business, you want to do some advertising, you want to be a guest on the show or something like that. But you know what? We appreciate any way you guys would like to support us. This is just another way of doing it. Or access the shop at lastrayart.gallery. Check out the shop as I'm a teacher's original artwork, some stickers, and also other merch coming at you from some of the guests on our show. Thank you very much. Peace. Peace.